1: This episode of BGN Radio is brought to you by Clip It, the hottest app that is out there. Watch TV, make clips, and share. For more information, check them out at ClipIt.TV or check them on Twitter at clip it TV. Michael Kist. Hey, somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball in a hat. And Benjamin Solak. How old are you? It's
0: the Kist and Solak
1: Show. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Right here on BGN Radio. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 16. It is brought to you by the fine folks at BGN Radio. Michael Kist here with you as always. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael NFL. Follow my X and O work for InsideThePylon.com. I've got some work up on BleedingGreenNation.com. Be sure to check that out you'll see me sprinkled amongst the copious amounts of articles that Brandon Lee Gowton churns out dude is a machine. Uh, So I'm sure you're all wondering about the Michael Bennett situation. That's understandable. I reached out to John Barchard and said, look, brother, I'm not really a reactionary hot take kind of guy, not saying that he and the rest of the crew is, but that I was sure that they would do a good job handling this early portion with the details surrounding it slowly leaking out. So listen in for 94 WIP. Look out for the next main show here on BGN Radio. They'll have it covered in regard to that. And I'll be talking about it as I learn more about this situation. Coincidentally, I was able to link up with Justice Mosqueda of Setting Edge to talk about some edge prospects in the 2018 NFL draft. Always important to load up on the pass rush. So that's going to be the show today. We're talking about the top edge prospects of this class, some potential targets at 32, some value targets in later rounds. And we had a fun talk about him fighting a bunch of rats. So let's kick it over to that right now. All right. So on with us today, a special guest, a friend of mine from Mobile, Alabama, got to meet him for the senior bowl, share some drinks with him, share some laughs with him, he is Justice Mosqueda. Justice, did I pronounce your name right? Number one, because I've been known to aggressively mispronounce names. Number two, how you doing, brother?
0: Good, yeah. Uh, my mom says Mosqueda and my dad says Mosqueda, so I, I feel like you're on the right side of history on this one. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, it, it's going, it's going real well, man. Still haven't recovered from that mobile hangover, but other than that pretty good. Yeah, same here. I've had to continue drinking because otherwise
1: the cumulative hangover (laughs) would literally kill me. Uh, Justice, man, we're going to be talking some of these edge pass rushers during this show. But before we get into that, let the gentle listeners know where they can find all of your work and your social media.
0: Yeah, so I do uh, NFL 1000 for Bleacher Report um i'm also doing uh, this off season i've been doing a lot of free agency stuff but i'm about to start writing a bunch of draft stuff for him uh let me think what else setting the edge podcast follow that on itunes five stars only we have more five star reviews than uh peter king no big deal (laughs) and then that's pretty much it just follow me at at j-u-m-o-s-q on twitter he is an excellent follow
1: uh don't worry about some of the nonsense you'll encounter for when you first follow him (laughs) he's he's an incredible football mind. You just, you gotta get used to him. He's very, Justice is a very eccentric guy, but he's a fantastic follow. I love following him. It's hilarious. So Justice, you've got this whole formula that you've set up over the years called force players. So this is very relevant to what we're gonna, gonna be talking about uh, as far as. What players will qualify? What play, What what it indicates as far as who's has the athleticism to translate to success into the NFL? So, do you want to let the gentle listeners know about this fourth players formula that you've been working on for the past few years?
0: Yeah, basically, what it does is it takes combine measurements and it basically it sets up filters for the ten split, the forty time, and a three cone, and it basically creates tiers in which how likely pass rushing prospects are going to succeed at the next level. It's been super successful, too. Basically, between that and then figuring out what a guy's sack production is at 23 years old, you can basically figure out who a guy's going to be for the rest of his career. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, three cone, that's really important for hips. Um, your 10 split, obviously, like getting down in that stance and going for a second and a half, it you know, really reflects onto the field. Mm-hmm. Pass rushers is kind of a different situation than Any other position, you know, on the football field, I think, like running back, it would be really hard to convince me that, you know, those drills that they measure at the combine would translate well to running backs who very rarely are hitting, you know, top speed, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, you watch defensive linemen, especially edge rushers, you're trying to play half man the entire time, and a lot of how you win is based off of burst off the line of scrimmage, and then from there, it's how you bend around the edge, which translates really well to the three cone drill. So, I've had a lot of success uh, doing that. It's called force players. Um, The age thing that I talked about, about your production at 23 is called Prodigy. Between those two, it's like super hard to find a guy who, you know, isn't either athletic or producing at a really young age in the NFL, who then has success in the future. In the past decade, it's probably like Justin Tuck, who was injured coming out of college. He played on a <laughs> torn ACL. And then I think he got banged up early on with the Giants. And then the next guy's like Charles Johnson, who was like a fourth round pick. So I feel pretty good about how that thing evolved over the past couple of years.
1: Yeah, and I eat it up every year. And we're going to be talking about some of these force players, guys that are guys that aren't, as we go through this thing. And as we do that, before we get to some of the more Eagles-centric targets or potential targets, let's set the stage here for how these top guys rank as a whole, starting at the top of the class with some of the consensus names. These are three names that the league appears very high on. The first is Bradley Chubb from NC State. Then you have Harold Landry from Boston College. And one of the head scratchers for me, Justice, is Marcus Davenport from UTEP, who the first time I got to get a real close look at him in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl, he was getting teabagged on the first rep by the tackle from Humboldt, uh, from Humboldt Alex Kappa. How close are these guys for you? Uh, is there a definitive one that is at the top of the crop for you?
0: Yeah, I, I've been going through guys, and I think those are my top three edge rushers too. Um, I would say that it's a pretty clear one, two, three for me though. Number one for me is Harold Landry, uh, the kid out of Boston College. He really didn't play healthy this year. Like from game one, he was on a he was on a pitch count. Right. Um, you can watch the Virginia Tech game where he gets his third sack of the game, goes to the sideline, and comes back with a roll of tape on, on his ankle. Like it's, it's just very clearly he was not playing at one hundred percent. But if you go back and watch twenty sixteen. Even just like, uh, what was it? The Florida State game that I tweeted out. Ooh. It was like a 35 point loss for Boston College. And this guy was making, probably made 20 plays that entire game. Um, if you look at him athletically, he's very similar to Jerry Hughes. Um, I think Jerry Hughes, Vic Beasley, that sort of spectrum is what you're going to get out of Harold Landry. Uh, second on the list is Bradley Chubb. Uh, Harold Landry did pass through the fourth player, right? Bradley Chubb didn't, but I don't think that's really that big of a deal for him because of how safe of a prospect he is. Yeah. Um, not, not passing through the filter doesn't mean that you aren't ever going to be a good pass rusher in the NFL. It just means that you're a lot less likely. Uh, when I look at Bradley Chubb and compare him with the non-force players who have done well in the NFL, he does a lot of the same thing. So it's like a lot of strength-based play, right? Um, he's still bursty enough, high effort guy. He can cross the face of an offensive tackle. So necessarily measuring the speed to bend ratio of a guy isn't you know, how he's really going to win in in the league. He's more of kind of like a Derek Barnett guy where he's a bender around the corner, but it's not a speed bend guy. Like he's not Bruce Irvin by any means, right? Like he's not going to have to live and die by that. Right. So I think he's a clear number two for me. Um, People talking about him as, you know, a potential number one pick earlier in this process before kind of became the consensus that everyone's going to trade for a quarterback. I think that was a bit much to me in an average class. I think he's probably like the 15th best dude, but in this class, when there's really three pass rushers and two that I'm really sold on as, like, for sure first-round picks in any right. sort of class, he kind of separates himself from the pack. Plus, he's healthy, unlike Harold Landry. For sure. Um, Marcus Davenport, like you said, kind of a guy where the hype was weird. Because if you remember when we went to, like, Mobile, he kind of, like, burst out of the scene instantly as, like, oh, yeah, he's going to be a top-ten pick. And it almost seemed like Tampa was going to be his floor at pick number seven by the right. time, you know. Senior Bowl happened. Well, that's where um, DJ it, was
1: mocking him as we were coming into Mobile. He had put him at seven to the Bucks, and all of us were like,
0: what is this? <laughs> yeah, because the thing is, um, a couple of the pro football focus guys were like super high on him coming into the season. And I try to watch every college prospect who returns and has at least five sacks, right? Hmm. So I was able to catch two of his games from 2016. One of them was a bowl game. I just like understood him as like a draftable prospect but no no way in my mind did I think of him as a first sure first round pick. Um, I've since gone back to film and stuff. He's like, he's high effort, right? He's a strong guy. He's a bursty guy. The only issue is that he's not really going to turn the corner, which, you know, obviously reflected to his three cone drill, even though he was talked about as an elite. He really didn't test out. in you know, the drill that is probably the most, you can correlate most likely with, you know, succeeding in the NFL and his pad level is really bad, which for a six seven guy, right. I mean, it's almost cliche to say his pad level is bad, but even guys like Leonard Floyd, like really one with like inside swim moves and stuff, which I think translate, you know, if, you're, if your talent translates in that way, where you're crossing an offensive tackle space, I think, you know, not showing up athletically means less for your huh. projection. Whereas like a guy like Davenport, he might just be like fighting with a guy, you know, eye to eye and just not playing half man at all, which is a massive issue because he's getting through these guys at the college level, but at the NFL level, it's going to be really different. I think the only NFL offensive tackle that he played, in the last 2 years was the Texas A&M guy who's drafted by the Baltimore Ravens and I think he's a backup guard now like this year the only power 5 team that he played was Baylor and they went like 1 and 11 or something like that so oh, yeah. there's definitely definitely a leap of expectation for Marcus Davenport I think if he if he gets his pad level fixed He's going to be a freaking terror. Right. But until then, he's still, you know, a little bit of a projection. He's way less safe than uh, Bradley Chubb and Harold Landry, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. And what's funny is we see these guys with this hype and people think that we're down on these guys just because someone in my eyes. So it's
0: like it's it's relative, right? Right. Like when you say Marcus Davenport, seventh overall pick, I'm like, I don't know about that. But if you can get Marcus Davenport in the 40s, that'd be awesome.
1: Yeah, like I see him as a second round guy, the guy, a guy that you can develop for all the reasons that you explained, for all the reasons that we saw in mobile live there. Uh, he didn't really show up the way that the hype was supposed to be, but, but because the hype is the way that it is with the media, people think that we're crapping on these guys. I like second round players. I, you know what I mean? Like those yeah. are very good football players that you can develop. And, and there are, there are a couple other players that as we start to creep into that late first round, early second round, some of the buzz surrounding these guys, you look at a, a couple of guys that I want to bring up because I keep hearing their name. I've seen, uh, one of them mock to the Eagles before, and that's Sam Hubbard from Ohio State. He had a super slow four, nine, eight, uh, 40 at the pro day. Obviously defensive ends aren't running 40 yards, and if they are, it's already a problem. But his six, eight, four, three cone was in the 97th percentile. Could you see the Eagles targeting him at 32? And if not, is there another name that maybe you would have for that spot that I haven't brought up yet?
0: Yeah, so Hubbard is a guy who I don't think really has that much of a plan as a pass rusher. I think if he was more advanced in terms of his variety of pass rushing moves, I would feel a lot better about him. But at the end of the day, I mean, he's a guy, like you said, 498. There are not a lot of guys who run 498s at his size who succeed at the NFL level. This is the other thing about force players, by the way, is all of its density adjusted. So it's relative to what your size is, which is a huge thing for the line of scrimmage, I think. When you think of Hubbard, like his best game was probably two years ago against Michigan State. That game that everyone remembers, that little strip sack or whatever for. Yeah. Uh, he hasn't really like been the guy at Michigan at, at Ohio State for you know a couple years, and he was passed over in terms of hype for. Tyquan Lewis, who was Ohio State's top defensive lineman, what was it, two years ago when he was right. Big Ten uh, Defensive Lineman of the Year. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh Jalen Holmes, mm. who was pretty hyped coming into this season. So I really don't think he ha- he's in play at 32. But if you look at places that do have first-round grades on him, I'm just not willing to go there. Um He's definitely a bendy guy, but he's not close to who Derek Barnett even was. And Derek Barnett, you know, some people were hot and cold on, on him. In terms of a guy who could be picked at 32 as an edge rusher, I don't really know because there are a couple guys who I really like their tape. Um, Hercules Mataafa was a guy who played mm. basically played three technique for Washington State, so but he weird. bombed the combine <laughs> and like he looked like he was going to be the most athletic guy in the class. I thought it was going to be a Bruce Irvin type of situation where Irvin was playing like that three, four defensive end for West Virginia when he came out. Ah. I thought it was going to be like that, not, not even close. Um, I like Duke Geofor from uh, Wake Forest. He was a guy who reminded me a lot of like Emmanuel Agba. So I thought he was going to be, you know, a fringe first, second round player. But he wasn't able to test at all because he's hurt. Um, I guess that would be like the last guy available. Probably would be like Josh Sweat from Florida State. There we go. Yeah. Who basically he basically tested like Jadavion Clowney. I think in the role that he played, kind of similar to J- Jadavion Clowney. no Hunter is probably a fair comparison for him because if you watch what Josh Sweat does, right? A lo- there, people need to understand that there's a difference between a ball read and a tackle read when you're trying to get off the ball. So if you're lined up over an offensive tackle, right? And your eye level is the offensive tackle and you're reading the offensive tackle based off of to get into the gap assignment that you need to be in. Right. Right. You're not going as quick off the ball as you would if you were looking directly at the ball. And there's a big difference between the two get offs in those type of situations, mm-hmm. which was a big thing with Donnell Hunter when he was in that that police style defense for LSU. where at the combine. He looks athletic. And then you look at his tape and you're like, I just don't see the get off. And then in the NFL, you see it translate almost immediately when he's staring at the ball every play, which is basically what these teams do. College defenses are way more diverse than NFL defenses. And I think Josh Sweat, just between... The injuries that he had and the scheme that he was put in kind of hit his talent a little bit, but those are the type of guys, like I said, like Denell Hunter, who end up having better NFL careers than they do in college. Yeah, and his stock is up, and Sweat doesn't have like mind-blowing production. He's got
1: 14 and a half sacks oh. over three years, but he burned at the combine, like you said, like like at Davion He had a four-five-three forty, which his 10-yard split's probably going to be f- <laughs> wow. His 10-yard split's going to be bonkers. He jumped 39 and a half on the vert. 31st percentile in the broad jump, which is going to signify some explosion. He's got some long arms, so he's a very interesting prospect that's probably going to get overdraft a little bit. But, you know, the athletic profile is there and teams are going to fall in love with that. And speaking of athletic profiles of guys that necessarily didn't produce, but you kind of fall in love with what they can do, I want you to pick one guy. And regardless of the round, it could be second round, third round, fourth round, whatever whatever it is. Arden Key versus Komoko Ture. So Arden Key versus LSU versus Kamoko Ture from Rutgers. You got to pick one just as I'm putting you on the spot.
0: Probably Arden Key just because – yeah, <laughs> if all things are equal, probably Arden Key. Yeah. But I'm pretty low on Arden Key relative to where some people have him Same. just because if you look at guys who are in the 230s, the last guy really to be taken, you know, any sort of high is Randy Gregory, who kind of had the same type of issues as he did. And people, people were saying last summer that Arden Key was up to two eighties. So this dude, you know, his weight is fluctuating, and he lost everywhere. a ton dude, of first the team was heavier. Yeah, and and like even on top of that, like he didn't even have the production that he had as a sophomore. Mm. Um, now now come all the off field issues. Some of that comes back to the LSU defense that kind of dropped him back to coverage a little bit more this year you, you had to squint your eyes real hard at Arden key to be like oh yeah I'm totally confident in this one playing out I don't know if you could trust that guy you know first two rounds we'll see though I, I bet he goes in the second so what do you like about uh Ture? because I was really when he when Ture
1: was like a freshman he kind of burst out to the scene he had some block picks right. my buddy is a is a Rutgers fan so I actually got to check out some of his games and I was like this guy is like Super athletic might be like the next big thing, and his career just seemed to like stall out for his entire time at Rutgers. What do you like about Teray?
0: Yeah, so he was a guy who even there was something weird about his high school team. Where basically like his sophomore and junior year, they just didn't have a high school team. Um So he played fo- he played football like his freshman year, and then his senior year ended up being like all state in Jersey, and then that's when uh, Rutgers picked him up. He was a, he, I think he was like all state basketball too, and then was breaking records for for New Jersey and track. So he was just like super athlete who th- these power five uh scholarships usually come like your junior year. And he right. ended up being a late bloomer that Rutgers was able to pick up. I think he redshirted for a year. Then he was a freshman All-American and then just kind of disappeared. I talked to some agents down at the senior bowl and they were telling me like because I, I, I was wondering, like, those are guys who are very intimate with these players. Right. They're trying to recruit these guys. So I was like, man, you got to tell me why this dude was missing because was it just a shoulder issue? Because that's what, you know. That's what the the news is in public, at least. And I guess he kind of got in the doghouse there, too. But when you watch him on the field like that, what was it, the Washington game in week one wow. where he was just going one-on-one and people are like, this dude's back to being like Justin <laughs> Houston, basically. Yeah. Um. So, so I, I think, you know, between the doghouse thing, between the shoulder injury thing, and I think shoulder injuries are super important for edge rushers. Mm. I think he's probably like a fringe second, third round pick, which is probably as good as you can get for a guy who, you know, combined his sophomore and junior years. Uh, he probably played like fifty snaps or something like that, maybe like fifty to a hundred snaps, probably.
1: Yeah, it's and it's crazy. So we're talking about second and third round picks, and the Eagles' you know situation is we don't have a second or third, but obviously it's a fluid fluid situation with Howie Roseman in office. So these are guys that they could be looking at, and with Teray, one of the questions I had with him was, and you talk about his shoulder surgery. Typically, wasn't he using that as with his inside pole when he's stabbing? Wasn't that the shoulder that he had repaired or am I wrong on that? Because he seemed to be pretty comfortable using that inside pole to stab and and it seemed functional to me, but are you more worried about a long-term thing with that injury or is it something that his tape, when you look at it, you're like, oh, okay, it's holding up pretty well. I'm not too concerned about
0: it. Yeah, no, it's definitely more of a long term thing. I don't okay. think it really affected him on the field. Um, I think a guy who would be similar in that way would be like Shaq Lawson. Right. Uh, that happened a couple of years ago where he had a shoulder injury. Um, he was wearing that same, like, cuff thing. I don't know what the hell they call it. I've never had a shoulder injury. I just blew out my knees twice. So, <laughs> so uh, they had that same cuff thing and you can almost pretty much tell every single time where you're like, oh yeah, that dude has a banged up shoulder right now. Um, but yeah, definitely more of a long-term thing than anything else. Okay. So let's talk day three sleepers because
1: the Eagles have two fir- two fourth round picks as it stands now. They have a fifth, a sixth, a seventh. They are always, as you know, is obvious, looking to reload on the defensive line. Uh, look, Vinny Curry is gone. Uh, We bring in Michael Bennett, talked about him at the top of the show. You have Brandon Graham, who hasn't signed an extension yet because he wouldn't allow Howie Roseman to preempt the market like he has with every other player that he's resigned to the team. So you don't know the long term future of Graham. There were trade rumors about Graham going into the combine. Apparently, they were shopping around, just never found a deal that they really wanted. Plus, they wanted him back on the team, which is totally understandable. So edge rusher is a place that we could definitely go fourth, five six round anywhere in the draft really because this team doesn't have a lot of big needs if they've fall in love with a the guy they're going to end up taking him but as far as a day three guy uh, we were talking before the show about kylie fritz from utah me and benjamin solak have talked about him he tested fantastically you've got a guy like joe osman could you see like a guy like a duke edge of four like you talked about with wake forest falling who is there in that early day three area that can bring some juice in the next year or two that you really like
0: yeah so so Fritz is definitely a guy like that just super athletic guy who wasn't really in a scheme where he could show off of, you know, a two way go as a pass rusher. Mm-hmm. Uh, Utah sent a lot of blitzes on the inside. It's why teams like the New York Jets just never have two digit sack guys. It's just they send those inside guys all the time. So it's really hard for those outside guys to get any sort of sacks. Um, some other guys that I would note probably. Jeff Holland maybe would be there. The kid out of Auburn, he's kind of like a discount version of Hubbard in terms of how they win. Mm. Just that slow edge churner, right? I think a guy like Chad Thomas from Miami, he's more of a length yeah. guy. Uh, he showed up huge at the at the East-West Shrine Game. People look at his, uh, he ran like a four nine zero forty, but he did it in like the two eighties, and he had a really fast ten split. Mm. So like, I don't think that that's that big of a deal because if he ran a four, if he ran if he ran a four nine zero or a four eight zero, whatever it was. At 10 pounds heavier and people just said that he was a defensive tackle instead of a defensive end. Everyone would be calling him a combine riser, right? That's why, that's why I adjust for density and stuff like that because it's just so, it can fluctuate so much, especially on the edge where you talk about a guy like that compared to a guy like Arden Key who's playing in the two thirties. And then the last guy I would say would be Contavious Street at North Carolina State. So he was really like the, I think he was the one guy off that North Carolina State defense who wasn't at the Senior Bowl, and I think he might end up being the second best behind Bradley Chubb. Uh, If you go back and watch the Furman game, and I know people are going to laugh about you know watching Furman football, FCS football, but Furman is a triple option team, and it was really interesting watching him basically be the read man because they didn't want to make Bradley Chubb the read man in a lot of those option plays, and you'll just see him chase down wingbacks who are running at full speed and getting these toss plays and stuff. So I I think Contavious Street's a guy who – it wouldn't really surprise me if he ended up going like end of the second round. It'd be just being like a total surprise for everyone. But right now, as far as people are talking about him, Kylie Fitz, Jeff Holland, Chad Thomas, and Katavia Street, those are the three guys that I would be like crossing my fingers and hoping someone is there in the fourth round.
1: I like it. I like it. Okay. One more question about edge rushers. Lorenzo Carter from Georgia. What the hell do you do with him? What position does he play at the next level? Have you watched
0: him? Yeah. So I'm really not even that big of a fan of him. So like uh the co-host that I have for Send the Edge, Charles McDonald, he's a big uh, UGA fan. And we've been talking about with Lorenzo Carter probably since he was a freshman. He was kind of one of those guys like uh Ture who kind of broke out early and then just kind of vanished. Hmm. But he like, I don't know, when you watch his film, it's really hard for me to tell where exactly he wins. And he's never really in a three point stance or anything like that. So it's really hard for me to like judge what his like true get off is. Um, I want to see what his full testing is. I don't know if they had their pro day, but I I wait until NFL draft scout updates for the full pro day. So I don't know what his three cone time is yet. Obviously, he passed the ten forty threshold, but he's a guy who some people are saying like borderline first round pick. And man, I just I just don't see that at all. That's the situation with like the Sam Hubbard one, where I'm like, I at least get the Marcus Davenport one, right? Where all I'm right. like, you know, if you get into the late like the twenties, right, I could see how in this class, Mark Marcus Davenport could go that high, but when people are talking about the Sam Hubbards and Lorenzo Carters of this world, I'm like, man, you you lose me on that one. That's about two rounds too high.
1: Yeah, and he had a 40-yard dash in the 4.5s, 98 percentile broad jump was in the 98 percentile vertical jumps in the 82nd percentile. He's got a good wingspan. He's got big hands. And this is funny because uh, I work on the inside the pylon draft guide and I was giving out grades for, I think it was uh Jair Alexander was a, a big fight that I had in there and I was trying to give grades for him and Denzel Ward and they, br- and they brought up a, a a range that we ended up, we ended up ultimately ditching this like range, which was higher, a higher grade, than better players because they were just like crazy athletic freaks which i mean which is what lorenzo carter tested like at least the limited testing that he did do and i was like there is no way zero way i am giving denzel ward a lower grade than lorenzo freaking carter we don't even know what he is you know what i
0: mean <laughs> yeah that's kind of that's kind of how i do it really like you could only project like two years in right, right. Anything beyond that's totally out of your control. And if you're, you're evaluating like that, I, I really don't know. So like guys like uh, a Taven Bryan or something, who's basically like that version as right. a defensive tackle for Florida. I can tell you exactly who he is. I have no idea who he's going to be in the future. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's excellent, man. So Justice, before I let you go, I want to ask you about this because there, there is something online that was happening during mobile, during, during the senior bowl. There was that whole thing where you could pick your army of like different animals and you had to like pick three. So it's like a, <laughs> a bear, you get the eagles and you got like the, the, what was it? 1000 rats. And I think yeah. you said that you could, you compared to 50 rats, you were like, an Olympic sprinter. You want to elaborate that uh, a little bit as far
0: as like you against the rats? What's that whole feud about? My my entire thing was I have a longer stride than these rats. <laughs> and all I have to do is be faster than like the number one rat. And they're small. They're going to like, they're like birds, right? All I would right. assume that they're like birds where they have to like stop and eat every like five minutes. Cause they're just so small that they can't eat enough to like have enough energy to run. Is that what so it is? I, I, I hope so. I, I that's <laughs> it. I look, listen, I know very little about animals, but I feel like that's that's how animals work. Could be very wrong here. It wouldn't be the first time.
1: They're gonna mess you up, man. They're gonna be like those those wild dogs, those pack of wild dogs in like Africa that can just like chase you down over like continents, basically.
0: Oh, dude, yeah, I know what you're talking. The things that chase like gazelles or whatever. Yeah, yeah, they just wear, they just go in like shifts and just like wear them down until they're like, yeah, we could all just like walk up to you because you're so tired. They're just sitting there smoking be. a so cigarette,
1: that- breaking down film, and next thing you know, they just roll up on you.
0: That was that was the big thing, too, is there was a there was a very strong argument because we were with like probably like seven, eight dudes at the Airbnb that we had and we were arguing like, all right, so we have to agree if there if there is or isn't a hive mind for <laughs> the rats, because like if they're all independent, it just like it might not mean anything. Right, right.
1: right. But the communication is a big thing for them because if they can actually communicate and kind of surround you and like trap you kind of like, you know, like uh, uh gorillas would basically like Planet of the Apes yeah. type stuff, then you're in big time trouble, bro. You could probably beat off like I, I would. I, I've met you. Uh, I know what you look like. I know your physical profile. I think you could beat off a good 20 rats. But if there's any more than that, like jumping on you at know, this, I think you're toast, bro. I think you're done. No offense.
0: Yeah. That, that's why, uh, we, we ended up, uh, we ended up thinking this a lot, right? Thinking, thinking through this thing a lot. And I think the two animals, cause it was like basically like choose two sets of animals and then you have to go against like the other seven and survive. <laughs> I think what I decided on was I was like, I need like all of the eagles. I think it was like 20 eagles or something like that. I'm like, here's what's going to happen. It's going to be 20 eagles and all they have to do is like levitate me. And then I'm like letting go (laughs) of the 10,000 rats. And basically it's a race to get to the hunter with a gun before they take you out of the air. Because that's the only guy who can take you out of the air. So it's like basically a run between the rats to get to the hunter before the hunter is in range to shoot you. I'll take those (laughs) chances over anything else.
1: He's been Justice Mosqueda. uh, Remind the gentle listeners where they can find all of your work.
0: J-U-M-O-S-Q on Twitter. Uh, you can find my writing at Bleacher Report, and I do, I'm do. i doing a weekly podcast for Setting the Edge. Just follow Setting Edge on Twitter, settingedge.com, or uh, go subscribe to it on iTunes.
1: Justice, man. Thanks for joining us. Have a great one, okay? Yeah, Yo, you too, man. Anytime. I love talking ball and everything else with Justice, man. So make sure you're following him. And I look forward to speaking with him again about these edge prospects. I'm working on rounding up some of these other guests like John Ledyard and Dan Hatman. And who knows? Sometimes I get impulsive and throw in a guest I haven't alluded to yet, like the way it went down with Justice today. Uh, ABR, man always be recording so there will be plenty of more content coming out from the Kiss and Solak show and I'm really looking forward to Benjamin Solak's return so that we can talk more draft and break down some film all right fellow Super Bowl champions that is our show for today remember to subscribe rate and review and never forget to remember that we all we got we all we need fly eagles fly